the time when wargamers played with chainmail and the rise of the wizards of the coast, there was an age of gamers. And unto this, Gygax, destined to bear the crown jewel of TSR upon a troubled brow, to show you all how to roll for initiative. Issue 62 uh, of the Roll for Initiative podcast. This is volume number two. Sitting in with me today, as usual, I am DM Vince. I'm sitting with myself, yes. And DM Nick. Hello. Coming aboard as a fill-in this week and hopefully further weeks, DM Will. Hey there. And as a special guest appearance, uh, I should say RFI, WGPR, and family's own author and acclaimed writer, Tracy Hickman. Hello, everybody. It's good to be back. (laughs) We love having you here. Thanks. I I love being anywhere. (laughs) So, uh, Nick, what have you been up to? Uh, What have I been up to? Well, not a whole lot, really, as far as the gaming situation is concerned. Didn't do any gaming last weekend. But uh, we talked about before we started the show, got me uh, reviewing my notes on the whole uh, Underdark stuff that my friend Jeff and I were working on, so... (laughs) <laughs> you know, just maybe get the creative juices flowing again. It's been, you know, sitting, lounging in my computer for a couple of years now before I've done any work on it. So I think it's about time I mm-hmm. need to do a little bit more. So hopefully it'll see the light of day. We'd love to see it. Yeah, I, I hope to put it out there. And, uh, Will, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into gaming and so people can get familiar with your voice. Okay, well, it's real easy. Uh, my sister started gaming back in the uh, early 60s. She's a long-time gamer. She got me into D&D. Actually, it was Chainmail in the uh, early 70s, and then from there on, it just progressed there on. I love the game so much. You know, I uh, went to Basic and then Expert and First Edition, Second Edition, 3.5, and now it's the Pathfinder. That's where I'm at right now these days. Uh well, besides that, you know, she was big time in miniature games, so now I also do a lot of miniature games. You know, Battletech, Starfleet Battles, you name it, and uh, any board game in the world made, I will play it. I heard at Gen Con you were running about 18 games at one point, weren't you? That is correct. Uh, I had 17 board game events. Luckily, I had someone help me run those events. Uh, that was a very hectic schedule. I wish I had a chance to meet everyone there, but I didn't. <laughs> yeah, you can't meet everybody. <laughs> very hard. So, and uh, Tracy, what have you been up to since I last saw you at Gen Con? <laughs> <laughs> since Gen Con? Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I went to Dragon Con since Gen Con. And, oh, how uh, was that? Oh, it was, it was amazing. Actually, it was, I, for me, it was the best Dragon Con that, that I've ever attended. Uh, we did a killer breakfast at uh, Dragon Con this year and drew a really big crowd, which was amazing because we were opposite uh, William Shatner's appearance oh, and oh, Doctor Who's God. appearance. And, you know, that people would actually come and, and, and play in our game when they could be off listening to the Shat. I mean, hey, come on. That was now, that was great. Did anybody do a Shatner death in the Killer Breakfast since Shatner was nearby? Uh, everyone did a Shatner <laughs> death at Killer Breakfast. You couldn't avoid doing a Shatner death at Killer Breakfast. It was, it was actually fabulous because we had um, uh, Richard Garriott, who's an old friend of mine, 
Um, and you may remember him as Lord British from the Ultima games, and right, uh, yeah. And more recently, he's been uh, been doing a lot of MMOs uh, things. But he uh, was at the convention, and he came to our Killer Breakfast um, since he used to play in our Killer Breakfast 25 years ago, uh, and helped us out with the opening. I mean, it's really cool because you know, Richard Garriott since then has 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 paid for the big ticket and and flown to the International Space Station. Um, so, you know, I'm kind of like having an astronaut in my game. It was pretty cool. <laughs> that is pretty cool. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Actually, it's a little known fact that both my wife and I have our DNA on the International Space Station. Wow. Uh, because Richard took it up there for us. So our DNA is in orbit. And uh, if anything catastrophic happens to the planet and aliens happen to find the International Space Station and aliens find our DNA on the space station and decide to reconstitute the humanity, it'll be me and my wife. Um, <laughs> actually, there are a number of other DNAs that are... the play there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, actually, there's, there's, I'm thinking that the, the actual odds on that are a little long, but... Um, you never know. <laughs> but you, but hey, you never know. You never know. Yeah, yeah. That and and found out that uh, um, uh, it's uh, also a little known fact that while Richard was on the International Space Station, he uh, created uh, he filmed a a movie that I wrote, um, oh. and and then subsequently edited for him when he returned from space. And so we actually have created the first science fiction movie actually made in space. Huh. Wow. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Smithsonian's interested in that one. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Thanks for that. So, yeah. So, you, you, I mean, you wanted to know what I've been up to since then. Uh, the truth, what I've actually been working on since then is, is uh, I'm writing a uh, Batman novel for DC right. Comics. Oh, yeah. Um, Remember, you were talking about that last time. Yeah. yeah Wayne of, of Gotham. Gotham. Yeah. I've been looking forward for that. Yeah. It's, it is really a solid book. I'm so excited about this book. Uh, and been working on that and trying to, trying to honor the, the legacy uh, of Batman and, and, and uh, all of the different uh, iterations of Batman down over the years. And that's been an interesting journey. Um, so I've been writing the Batman book. We've been doing our online serial book, Black Shore, um, uh, at dragonsbar.com. you got to come and check that out because the only place you can get it is from me. Um, and uh, and in addition, we've, been, we've started up our writing seminars, and that's oh. been going really well, the online writing seminars. Oh, yeah, that was such a great deal, too. You get to uh, – it's like a class package, and you get to uh, work with you and your wife and uh, – how to becoming a, 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 I should say, a proper author. Well, we primarily like to te- teach people story and the structure of story and how to create a story that is solid and really works. Um, uh, and we have, uh, in addition, of course, to the actual writing of it, and, and we're very much into new media. Um, as we tell our authors, it's not about being published anymore. It's about being read. Yes, it's a, It's all about finding your audience and speaking good to them. Good point. Very good point. Yeah, that's a uh, very total good point. Structure of a story is so important these days with all these adventures that are being released and, and even in books, what have you. Yes, structure is very important. Good note. Yeah, it is, and it speaks to it speaks to everybody. And so we 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 do a lot, spend a lot of our time dealing with the structure of story and making sure that the story that you're telling is solid and, and is going to connect with your audience. Uh, especially today, that's important because... 
um, with new media publishing, I mean, you, anybody can get published. The real question is whether you have a story that's going to hold an audience. And, and that's what we want. That's what we're trying to teach people. The, the coolest thing about the seminars, actually, is that, um, uh, is that people not only have the lessons online, which my wife and I have created ourselves, um, but because I run the forum in the, on this seminar site, um, you have access directly to me in terms of your writing, and, and I will help you directly in terms of what you're writing. So, yeah, it's, that part actually has been very exciting. I've been seeing a lot of really good new writers coming up through that, and it's very encouraging for me to see that. I know. I just couldn't imagine writing something and handing it into you or your wife to read. I'd be like, ah, be nervous. Oh, listen, you know, that's <laughs> the best, actually, because we don't tell anybody how ugly your baby is. <laughs> and, you know, and it's true. I mean, people worry about, you know, here's, here's my child. I've been, I've been working on this story for 10 years, and, and, and I'm going to hand it over to you, and I want you to tell me it's beautiful. I want you to tell me that, that it's perfect and it's sweet and 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 the, the truth is you really don't want that. What you want is someone who will tell you your baby's ugly and why your baby is ugly. Um, because the truth. Uh, the truth, yeah, sadly enough, because uh, yeah, there's, if, you send it, you're, if you send this child into the world, the world is not going to care. Yeah. Uh, and and, and you, want to, you want to make your baby pretty before the world tells you otherwise. True. So yeah, this is why we love editors. Uh, I think it was um, uh, a, a, a wonderful quote that I, I use, use all the time. I have to paraphrase it, but it's we write from the heat of passion, but we edit to see the fire through the smoke. Hmm. Wow. And that's, and that's that's, that's what we're that is what we're all about is is to help help you is to help our authors. Uh, in our writing seminars, uh, be able to to find the fire through all the smoke. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I've I've been uh, unbelievably busy trying to keep all of <laughs> I was these. Say, you've uh, been busy doing some interesting stuff, to say the least. <laughs> well, yeah, and I've 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 got the third novel in the Dracus series that I need to write this uh, fall and and winter, as well as finishing the drag uh, the Batman book. Uh, so, uh, and then we're looking forward to the spring to, to new projects then. So, you know, we're, we're dancing as fast as we can here. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And I still want to do games, you know, so, <laughs> so yeah, we'll, we'll find time for that somewhere. Yeah, somewhere along the line, you're going to find some time for gaming sleep. Who needs that, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, not when there's fun stuff. You know, I, yeah. I mean... I just, uh, my good friends over at Fantasy Flight Games, for example, uh, just sent me the, the Dragon expansion for Talisman. Oh. And so I'm really excited to bust that out. Uh, and uh, they also sent me a copy of their Gears of War um, nice. board game. And, and, and I, as soon as I have like 10 minutes of my own, <laughs> that, that baby is so coming out of the box. <laughs> Just enough time to look at it. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I, I, I steal what time I can. I, last night, um, yesterday, for example, I put in a 15-hour day. Whoa. And and uh, and my chair in my office just really isn't that comfortable, guys. Seriously. <laughs> I'll um, get you a new chair. Okay. Well, and, and the problem yesterday was uh, uh, my wife and I were writing a chapter, a new chapter for 
um, our online uh, Blackshore book. And uh, we needed to get it posted that night. And, and so, um, and, and it was a really wonderful chapter. I, I was really happy with how it, how it turned out. But it was, you know, we were posting it at 10, 15 at night. And so it's, it's just the reality, I think, of the age in which we live. It's the reality of the new market that, uh, yeah. that we're struggling to, uh, to adapt to. Nice. Okay, cool. You know, I wanted to you know bring up something that Mr. Hickman brought up with Fantasy Flight Games. Uh, since I'm a big board gamer, I'm gonna tell you that is a solid company right there. Mm. If you really want to get some good board games, and I mean they're really hardcore and making some good quality games out there. Yeah, they do. They've got tremendous what I call toy quality. Yeah. Uh, they they have lots of toys, and I want a game with lots of toys in it. I just <laughs> really do. I in fact I actually wrote for them. Uh, I, I just uh, just a, uh, just earlier this month, actually, they released a novel that I did for them um, called Fireborn, um, Embers of Atlantis, which uh, was a, a novel that I wrote for them in their Fireborn universe. It's a it's a an urban fantasy, which is new for me. I haven't written urban fantasy before. It was a lot of fun, um, but that just came out, and and I also wrote a scenario for them for their Mansions of Madness. Uh, and was able to do some fun things with the components in that one that they hadn't thought of doing before. Uh, now, now, that's interesting. I would like to know about that because I own Mansions of Madness, and I demo it at the board game uh, conventions as much as possible. So is this something that hasn't been released yet? I think I think they were going to release it as one of their, like, downloadables. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know exactly how they were how they were going to be doing it, but it's it's a fun, it's a great little adventure um, because uh, it, it it takes place in Hollywood, and it's it's all about uh, going to a, a a movie premiere party at this mansion, uh, and and so and it ha- it's all bound up with uh, with uh, uh, with the elder uh, and uh, and and trying to push their way into the world um, through the uh, mechanism of this projector that they have there that's running this movie. And it's got, creepy. <laughs> oh, it's it's great. So so you go and you've got. We actually built into it um, ghosts of the people who are phasing in and out of uh, of of this party, this Hollywood party. Um, and uh, I was just really happy with how it turned out. It was uh, a lot of uh, a lot of fun. So you want to look for that. I'm not I'm not sure exactly when they're how they're releasing that or when they're releasing that, but. Cool. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. You go in and the movie is playing uh, in the um, in the in the great room. Used to it's, it's called the chapel, but they've turned it into a uh, a movie theater. And depending on which scenario you're playing, the movie plays out differently in the theater. So it's uh, I think you'll really like that one. That's very good. Well, I'll be looking for it and uh, I'll, I'll play it a couple times and then I will give you my critique. Yes, please do. Absolutely. Tell me my baby's ugly. I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, so RFI has been uh, nominated for a Golden Pawn Award. Uh, this is ga- this no. is put- yeah, through the Gaming Genius Awards, where they nominated us for a Golden Pawn Award. I've never heard of the award before, and I apologize to them, but I think this is a new award that's been in the making. And we made it in, so they're going to announce the... By the time this podcast comes out, we should know if we actually won or not. 
It's going to be awarded in Montreal Comic Con 2011. Oh, please, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please. please. <laughs> hey, it's just an honor to be nominated because so many people throw their podcasts in there. And just like the Any Awards, if you make it to the nomination round, that's just an honor in itself. I agree. I agree. This is, uh, this is completely unrelated, but I was once nominated or I was forwarded for a Grammy. A Grammy? I know. Grammy? Hard to believe, isn't it? What did you sing? Well, I, I sing uh, baritone. Uh, oh. But... <laughs> <laughs> what? What? Uh, actually, it was of all things. It was for the the Dragonlance movie soundtrack. Well, it was a good soundtrack, though. Which is an awesome soundtrack. Yeah. Seriously, I've, I have I have always said that that the Dragonlance movie is the best radio play ever put on DVD. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you can turn off the monitor, it sounds fabulous. It's a fabulous experience. Um and. But I was actually forwarded for a Grammy nomination on, on on that one, which because I wrote Elven lyrics to the Elven hymn in, in that uh, that was part of that, and so I've always thought that was another strange fact about me. But you know, you, I think frankly, you guys have got a much better shot at the Pawn Award than I well, had at a Grammy. Thanks a lot, and I, I, and I support it. you in this absolutely. Excellent. Just uh, send him an email saying, I'm Tracy Hickman, and I support this podcast, and we'll win. That's all we need, just your word. Ah, yes, <laughs> because we all know, of course, that my word and a dollar will buy you a large drink at McDonald's. <laughs> Wait, we can get a large drink at McDonald's? For a dollar and my word, yes. Really? Cool. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Uh, forums, uh, we are up and jumping in the forums, and uh, we changed the theme. People have been donating to the forums to help improve it and giving us feedback, so we're happy about that. Uh, we should probably let everybody know that uh, uh, on the forums, we made an announcement about a particular DM screen. How would you know about that, Nick? You're never on the forums. Yeah, I was on there today. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, as promised, as promised for the past, I don't know what year now. Year, I think, yeah. We finally, finally, well, I should say I finally stepped up and produced a Dungeon Master, well, I should say a Game Master screen for, compatible with first edition. We'll say that. And you Oh, can, you mean the good, the good game? Yes, the good game. Yes, oh, okay. that one, exactly. <laughs> and you can find it by going to the osrgaming.org forums, and there'll be a link there in the announcement section. And uh, I'll get the exact link. I'll say it on the air, but no one's going to be able to follow it because it'd be too difficult to follow it on the air. It is osrgaming slash main slash products.html, and then you can see the screen right there. And it's a pretty cool-looking screen that we had someone draw up for us, and it has the basics of what you need to play any uh, first edition type game. Yes. It's and made uh, wonderfully thick cardboard. Enough, you know. It's you not cardboard, it actually. It's 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 a stronger material than cardboard. It's almost like the material they use for the modern. Adamantium? Game. Yeah, adamantium, yeah. <laughs> you know, titanium. <laughs> the uh the the board the, the you know the GM screens they use today for that material. Yeah. It's like oh, a okay. step below that. Oh, nice. Yeah, so so if, it, so if you fold it up and whack a player on the head, if they're a little unruly player, it'll still hold up. Yeah, oh yeah, it'll still hold up. This 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 will hold Sweet. up. I gotta screen. get myself one. <laughs> uh, it has what you need on there, and just to give you a basic rundown, it has the all the class attack matrix, the armor chart, uh, creatures struck by only magical weapons, 
character monster saves, monster attack matrix, missile fire concealment chart, thief function table with climb ability, encounter reaction morale, invisibility detection, spell recovery timetable, and a quick healing spell reference chart. And that no could be yours psionics. for no, yeah, no psionics. Oof, no. Yes, we didn't waste like a whole other thing with psionics. That, wow, that, that nobody is used such anyway. a relief. Thank you. Oh no, no, I, I use psionics now. I mean, that's the purpose of having mind flayers and intellect devourers and all those other good monsters. Psionics do have a place. I told you, Will, Will uses all the good stuff that we don't use. Apparently, <laughs> and. Right now, it's it's being offered for an introductory price of eleven dollars plus three dollars shipping in the United States only. Ooh. For now, so if you want to get a hold of one, eh, we only have twenty right now. So and it's going like hotcakes. So I don't know if they'll be still around by this time the podcast gets out. So if you're one of the lucky yes. ones that spotted on Facebook or spotted on the forums or on Dragon's Foot, then you're lucky. You probably already have one. Yes, order your new DM screen now. Tinker gnomes are standing by. Yes, and we will get more. We just only ordered a certain amount just because we weren't sure who wanted them and who didn't want them. It's better to order a little amount than order like 100,000 and have like four people buy it. Then I'd be like Al Bundy with all the shoes in his house going, what am I going to do with all these shoes? <laughs> when the meter maid contract falls through. Anyway. <laughs> That's too funny. <laughs> so, uh, Nick, what do we got for stars? For stars, we do have one new review over at iTunes, and this is from Frankie Green Jeans. Okay. And Frankie Green Green Jeans says, "Mm mm-mm, good, with five stars. (laughs) And he says, these guys rock. I have tried many gaming podcasts over the last few years and get tired of most of them in a very short period of time. I've been with these guys from close to the beginning and still look forward to the show every week. Yes, they could be prepared, be more prepared at times. Yes, they could not talk over each other, but listening to the podcast is like an actual gaming session. <laughs> it's also nice to be reminded how cool Dragon Magazine was back in the day. Keep up the good work. We don't talk cool. over each other, do we? Yeah, I don't know. Do we talk over each other? I don't know. We talk over each other. Well, thank you for that. Yes, that's thank you, Frankie Green Jeans. And anybody else, if you want to uh, give us a review, head on over to iTunes and type in at the iTunes store, search Roll for Initiative, and you can click on the link from there. Uh, also, you can contact us at rfistaff at gmail.com. Oh, my God, Nick got it right this week. I know, because I read it right off the screen at iTunes. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Cheater. cheater. Yeah, cheater. Yes, I cheated. <laughs> Do you know the voice number? No. Ah. Let's Our head into hotline. Yeah, so let's head Wait into Wait a minute. As I do, I have it right here. It's 570-865-4210 for the RFI hotline. That's right. Hotline. We're standing by. So let's head into Sage Advice. Gnomes are standing by. Because we have a couple emails and a voicemail. Oh, cool. We do have a voicemail. Excellent. Master! Master! They're at the gates again! Master! It looks like another band of adventurers! Adventurers? Again? Always the same. Coming to me for sage advice. For sage advice this week, 
We're going to start off with a voicemail, so everyone just give a mute on your microphones, and we'll just play the voicemail. Greetings. This is Full On Gamer from Thaco's Hammer and D20 Radio. On your last podcast, you had some very unkind things to say about Night Below regarding its railroadiness. I'm sorry. I have to say something. One, we will cover Night Below when we do it in Thaco's Hammer. Two, as far as railroad goes, you have an adventure. It has a beginning. It has an end. You have to get from here to there. The adventure gives you lots of ways to deal with what's going on around you at the time and choices. However, if the beginning of your module is at the surface and the end of your module is five miles underground, 120 miles away, there's generally going to be one general way to get there. If the adventure deals with going into the Underdark and dealing with a threat, and your party would rather head off to Luskin or go into the wilds of the woods and stay there or look for something else. They aren't playing the adventure. Even in your home campaigns, if you write a beginning and an end, you have a railroad. I'm sorry, it's the truth. So, when you deal with an adventure, yes, you give them choices. You give them general guidance in the direction they want to go. And if they're going to go completely off the rails and break your campaign, well, then they're going to go off the rails and break your campaign. But you have to deal with it as the DM. Players will do what they're going to do. But part of the covenant between the players and the DMs to have fun is to kind of do what is laid before them. That doesn't mean you're a slave to the railroad. It just means you're going to do the adventure, not suddenly decide, I'd rather go outer planar. I'd rather go deal with dragons. I'd rather go deal with giants. I'd rather go look for anything other than the plot that is laid before me. This is Full On Gamer, finishing my rant. I'll talk at you later. You made, <laughs> you made Full On Gamer mad. <laughs> <laughs> you made him mad, Nick. <laughs> well, <laughs> let's, let's hand where, the microphone over to Nick. Where do I even start with that? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, oh, this is all my fault. Yeah, Nick. We're going to hand the microphone over to Nick now to comment on behalf of RFI Podcast. I'm sorry. When I was muted, I was just, like, laughing. I was just, like, Vince before the show was like, you know, you started something with on Echo's <laughs> Hammer. I go, with what? He goes, when we were talking about Night Below, I'm like, what, because it's a railroad kind of adventure? <laughs> I mean, I haven't known anybody who hasn't said otherwise, apparently. Uh, he says otherwise. So, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, to each their own. I mean, yes, there are, yes, you have a beginning, middle, and end, but. Well, excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> but. Go ahead, Trevor. We just, we just, I just wrote a book with my son called XDM, Extreme Dungeon Mastery. Extreme! Extreme Dungeon Mastery. <laughs> and, and the reason that we wrote this is precisely for what this guy's talking about. And that is, we, we figured out back in the <clears throat> 1980s um, yeah. how to conduct an adventure, a story adventure that was not a railroad. And and we actually talk about it in this book. And we give diagrams, you know, pictures with small words so that people will understand the concept. 
yeah, yeah, a railroad is a linear structure, right? Yeah. And yes, and it's and railroads are are great if you're doing a tournament because you just measure how far before somebody dies and whoever right. gets further wins. Tournaments and have to be that way, or you they just, have to be that way, and that's understandable. You don't know how to eliminate people? Exactly. Right. It's it and 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 we've all played Candyland, so we know how that works. <laughs> and. and at the same time, you've got you know you have the you you have the open campaign where oh it's you know it's all free and we can go yeah, anywhere sandbox. that we want. Yeah, it's the sandbox mode, and and we all understand how that works. And 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 if you have type two players, if you have social players, you all put them in a tavern and you get them talking to each other in character, and then you go out for pizza because they'll be there when you get back, and that's okay. Yeah. That. But but we but there's a third a third way to handle this, which is a directed matrix, and it, and and this is a a, way, a place where you do have a beginning, but then you let the characters explore the area of the adventure itself, and then and and find direction within the adventure to continue and flow on. It's you don't kind of have a hybrid to, between the two in a way. It is. It's a hybrid between the two, and it's a branching matrix that brings you down to a number of different endings, but, but it's manageable within the setting. It has this beautiful illusion of the eternal uh, horizon, the infinite horizon, while still keeping adventurers within the, concept, within the confines of the adventure itself. You do not have to grab people by the nose and, and drag them through an adventure just because you want to get them from point A to point Z. You know, Tracy, there are better ways to do that. There's a good, and that's a good point. How you said gives the illusion of broad horizons, but yet they are still within the confines of this scenario, this adventure, this this uh, plot. Yeah, it's we actually. Like, it's almost like how I, you know, it's almost like parenting <laughs> in a way. Is I have children, and I say, you kids could do whatever you want in this space. <laughs> well, yeah, I see true. now. That is true, and I, I, I believe Mr. Hickman is correct. Uh, uh, as I stated before on the forum, that I have a 15-part uh, campaign, all designed by myself. But within the campaign, I have about a dozen and a half, the two dozen first edition, second edition modules in and between. So that allows the players, you know, to diverse and be flexible. Now, Mr. Hickman did bring up one point. I use a flow chart. If the players go to this, they can go here and here. If they right. go to this point, they can go here, here, and here. But regardless, it's still going to funnel back down to the eventual goal. Yeah, oh, yeah. You kind of follow what Tracy was talking about. Yes, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's actually, we give this advice actually about a lot of things. I give this advice about a lot of things. I give this advice about how, how people should hang on to their outlines, for example. Uh, and in general, it's good advice anyway. But it also applies to this as well. And that is that an, a, a proper adventure, at least in my mind, should be uh, handled the same way that you hold a handful of marbles. And, and that is you can either grab those marbles and squeeze them tightly to try to force them to do what you want them to do, in which case you got marbles flying all over the place and you lose your marbles. Or you can hold your hand open, just flat, and pour marbles onto it, you know, and let them go wherever they want to go, and you end up again losing all your marbles. <laughs> but if you if you hold your hand in a form, a, a, a structure, right, mm -hmm. that defines the edges of where the marbles can go, uh, a cup out of your fingers, 
and you put the marbles in there, they will settle naturally into the form, mm-hmm. but they don't get out of the form, and you manage yeah. to hang on to your marbles. And that's the way I think an adventure uh, should be should be structured. That's the way it should be run by uh, the DM, is that you have the form of the adventure, and then you let the players settle naturally inside the form. Yeah. And, and that's where that's where you everybody gets the enjoyment I think within the game without busting outside the walls. Now, with that being said, does Night Below that adventure, basically a mini campaign in itself, does it follow that form? Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's easy to say that I could tell you right now it doesn't really because again, you know. I'm going to pick on Mr. Hickman again because I love this base. Ravenloft, I-6. I'm sorry. I-6 was a railroad module. However, now that they released the Ravenloft setting and that whole campaign, the campaign background, now it, you can run that module and run with it. Now you have a whole demiplane to work with. Mm-hmm. So that's how I look at it right now. Ever so much easier when you don't have, like, 64 pages that you have to deal with. Mm-hmm. True. All right, let's get on to some of the emails there. So, full-on gamer there. Take that. Uh, Take that. <laughs> Mike writes in and asks, I've always run a thief in my... In my in a, let's start that again. I always run a thief. However, after a while in a campaign around levels 3 or 4, I become either useless to my party or bored. Hmm. Hmm. Is there anything I could do to make the thief class more fun? Also... Yeah. <laughs> also, can you explain hmm. the other non-basic things about them? That's kind of a general question. Who wants to take well, that one? Let's see. I don't know. Backstab. Hello. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you got that backstab attack. You get behind the, the enemies of the party. I mean, you become a real crucial part of that, of a battle, for one. Unless I know. Frost Giant. Yeah. I know this is going to come as a surprise to you guys, but I do have an opinion on this. Go for it. Um, the the reason that thief characters so often become boring is because the referee does not play ethics within the body of the game. The whole the whole thrill of being a thief is is to is to be disruptive, mm-hmm. to, to be counter cultural, counter counter societal, right? Mm-hmm. And if all you're doing is, you know, I, I, we used to tell the story, this, this story in our uh, seminars. You, you have a thief and he goes into the town and he, he walks up to somebody and says, well, uh, where's the richest part of town? Well, if you turn right and go down three blocks, that's the richest part of town. So the thief goes down to the richest part of town, finds this really good looking house, um, and he uses his lock picking abilities. He breaks in the door, finds, you know, the, the room's full of treasure and, and then steals the treasure. This is this isn't very exciting. This isn't this is boring. Yeah, it's boring. No wonder the thief is boring. The excitement for the thief has to come in an ethical world, because you have to have things like you know, this guy's a thief. There's going to be guards in the city, and they're going to be looking out for this. The citizens of the town aren't going to take kindly to people stealing from them, and so he's going to be an outcast, and they're not going to deal with him the same way. If he generally, is... Yeah, if he generally, is, 
Yeah, like thieves guilds, for example, they generally don't open uh, work openly in the public. You have to find out where they are in the town. Well, exactly. It's not like they have like the pancake breakfast every right. Uh, They're not the, the Shriners. <laughs> it's not the Shriners. It's the you know it's the thieves guild here. And and if the citizens of the town actually knew where it was, they'd burn it to the ground. Probably. Yeah. So so the reason I think people have problems when they play the thief class is because the DM isn't willing to impose upon the thief the very thing that makes being a thief exciting and interesting. Yeah. And that yeah. is that the wor- that they are fighting uh, a, a world that really doesn't want them to do what they're doing. I think that's a good point when you talk about like the ethics of being a thief also I guess more mechanic mechanics wise in a, in a game mechanics sense I, I know I've been guilty of this and I think maybe other DMs have been too we get kind of lackadaisical when we plan adventures and we don't necessarily plan out things that are necessarily put a thief to task all the time you know mm-hmm. like making complex traps or complex riddles um well, it's and, true. And, and there is kind of a curve to that because the, when, a, when a thief gains more experience, generally those sorts of things get easier. So as a DM, I know at least on the DM side of the screen, it becomes a little bit more difficult to plan those sorts of things too. Well, I think what we actually, well, I think we actually get too bound up in the rules. Yeah. And I think that's all, part of the whole problem that we have now with, anyway, I don't know, what edition are we up to now? 5.7 or I can't yeah, remember. I don't know. Six, I think. I have lost count. And, and the problem is that the later editions have become more and more rules heavy to the point where right. we have abandoned the roots of, uh, of role playing to begin with. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't mean to be a Luddite about this whole thing, but the, the, but, but we have, we have forgotten why these games were fun. Uh, to begin with, I used to play Traveler ages ago. We used to refer to it as Accountants in Space. <laughs> it was the only role-playing game I knew of that you could die during die the creation process. Yeah. Yeah. Character creation, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which you got to admit is pretty cool. And yeah, <laughs> and but we've gotten to the point where we're we're more worried about roles of the dice than roles that we play. And and the the fact is that if you want to play a, a a thief, it has to be balanced by something, or it's no longer interesting. We we like right. to say in writing that that heroes are made by the villains that they fight, and if you do not have a great villain, then you are not never going to make a great hero. So I and guess that's so. that's true yeah. of the thief too. If if, yeah. if the if the thief is not doesn't have somebody countering him. And challenging him, he can never be a really great character. Right. And also striking that balance between, you know, that ethical issues that the thief player will have when he's living in this world. And also having, you know, you know, as he progresses on his comp- comp- uh, career, the his world is going to get more complex using his abilities. So... I, don't, I, I hope we answered this question. <laughs> well, uh, uh, let me add just a little bit to it. Now, what I, when I, I mentioned this uh, in my 15-part campaign, uh, the adventure revolves around the player characters and their classes. Now, the, you know, the players don't know that, but that's how I designed it. Therefore, you know, for all the they players, I will... Yeah, well... 
if they listen, they better not cheat because I got something for them. But uh, no, no, I, I have adventures specifically designed for each character class, whether it be a cleric or whether it be a, a thief or what have you, so that their skills will be necessary for that particular part of the venture, more so than, you know, the rest of the other parts. That's how I involve the roles as far as separate classes. Mm-hmm. And that's a good way of doing it. I don't know. I, I don't think thief classes are boring. I mean, whenever I play, I try to add traps and things for them to do, pickpocket situations, things that make a thief interesting. I don't like to just let thieves just stand there, backstab. I follow, backstab. All right. It's kind of boring. <laughs> I usually try to hang them, but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so our next email comes from Buck Backup. I like that name, Buck Backup. It's, his title of his email is Creature Feature New Frontiers. That sounds like a movie. Yeah. I am a future person writing f- from your past. So hello back to you, future Vince, Nick, and the rest. Okay. I am still catching up on past cast and up to number 46. Perhaps I should wait until I hear them all, but I thought I would register my opinion on the Creature Feature live play before my aging mind forgets. I like it. No, I'm kidding. I like it. Bring it back. Who cares if the show runs two hours? What am I going to listen to? News radio? The the fun you have on the podcast comes through, and I find myself guessing along with the rest of of your listeners. Bring back that bit of fun. Play on, strong as ever, a loyal listener, book back up. Well. Uh, No, we're not bringing it back. (laughs) It took up too much time, and a lot of people complained about it. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people complained that they were just fast-forwarding through it to just to get to the end. I mean, we liked to it. I'm sure we enjoyed doing it. Oh, yeah. But we got we got to figure the out. We we have time constraints. So <laughs> and that's why we have the actual play podcast which you know we're on hold now, but you can still go back and listen to all I don't know 30 something episodes of mine and yeah. 10 episodes of Jason plus the RFI community podcast that was up for a while. With about ten episodes, you got all those different DM stylings there. We generally try to keep within an hour, hour and a half for per show. <laughs> try approximately, yes. try. approximately. So okay, cool. Uh, last question. This one is directed to Mr. Hickman. Ooh. Mm. So, Mr. Hickman, I want you to explain to us your reasoning on using steel as your money source in the Dragonlance campaign. <laughs> Well, I'd be delighted to tell you my reasoning behind using steel instead of gold behind the Dragonlance campaign. Awesome. Yeah. No, (laughs) I I remember actually at the time why, and and that was because uh, it seemed seemed logical at the time. (laughs) The riddle of steel. The riddle of steel. It seemed like the right thing to do. No, we had... We we actually... (laughs) Did give some thought to this, and I thought, you know, gold, especially in a in a in a universe which we had in Dragonlance that had just gone through such cataclysmic upheaval, gold itself is really kind of a lousy metal. Uh, it's it's soft, okay, mm-hmm. which means it's really lousy in terms of uh, its ability to uh, to be useful um, as a tool. And it occurred to me at the time that tools would actually be more, be more valuable in a post-apocalyptic world than decoration would. 
Um, and, and with a number of cities that had been destroyed and, and ruined, uh, the, the actual worth of gold itself as a commodity uh, would, would really be um, unimportant uh, in that kind of a world. Um, and, and, and so I thought, well, what would be important? Well, steel would be important in a world like that because steel would be something that, that would last and have value and, and, and be strong and useful as a tool. Um, uh, as a source of money, however, I think it's kind of lousy. Uh, and, 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 I, and having come to this brilliant realization in my youth that we should, we should look at the true value of things and, and establishing steel pieces instead of uh, as a replacement for gold pieces, I, I wasn't into more than two adventure modules before I completely regretted that decision. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, I, a steel piece is equal to a gold piece. I, we keep having to explain the monetary system every time we turned around. Yeah. And, and people say, well, uh, what is that in gold pieces? I, you know, I, it was, it was a translation problem and, and, uh, so that was the original reasoning, whether it was a good idea or not. I, I, I think maybe I would have changed that if I could go back. <laughs> okay, cool. I was just wondering why you always had used that. Yeah, I had, that was the original thinking was that steel would be more valuable as a, as a metal than gold would have been. Uh, like I say, gold has great conductive qualities, but you know that's not something you need in the medieval world. Um, and and beyond that, its its primary ability is is to remain to maintain its luster and look pretty and be easily shaped. None of which I thought would be really terribly important um, to the people following uh, the cataclysm. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. You have you have any sage advice you want to send us in? RFI staff at gmail dot com five seven zero eight six five forty two ten. You two can call in and, and rant on uh, Underdark with uh, full-on gamer against Nick <laughs> as, we, hey. yeah, as we head into table matters. Yeah, I remember back in the day, a fella knew how to judge a fireball on the fly and how far the cleric could push the undead he turned. I tell you, with all these min-maxers and munchkins, metagame and power game, there's something missing that I'm here to learn ya. Now sit down and crack your book while I commence to teach ya some... Table Matters. Alright, for Table Manners uh, this week, we're going to be going into the Dragonlance Adventures book. As you could have guessed, we're theming this podcast. Yes, we got a whole theme here. That's right. And as oh. you could have guessed by bringing Tracy Hickman on, he's not just here for because he wants to be. We pulled him in. We roped him in. Yes. I think he's still Did here. Did we? Yes, I'm still breathing. <laughs> okay. Like, oh my gosh. Uh, we lost somewhat, him. Somewhat, <laughs> somewhat with trepidation, but yes. You know, oh, he's like, where are we this going? Is like, with yeah, this? this is like, where are we go? This is, you know, like, you know, do you remember in episode forty-one with, you know, Return of the Archons, the part with it? Yeah. That's why I did that to you at Gen Con when I first shook your hand. I was like, how are you doing? He's like, good. I'm like, I got this character I want to tell you about. And he's like, oh great. Oh, God. oh yeah, thank you. Oh look at the time. I think I have a seminar I need to teach. I left hysterical, and I'm like, nah, I'm just kidding. I had to do that to you because you say you always get that. <laughs> 
Well, it, it's true. I, I love talking to fans. I absolutely adore talking to fans and meeting them, and especially online. I'm, I mean, I've got I, I, I've got the Facebook page, and and I tweet from time to time, and uh, and I actually just opened a a forum on my uh, trhickman.com site so that I could just answer people's questions. You want to stop by and and ask me a question there. So I love talking to I love talking to fans. But but I'm sorry. The truth is that that you, you telling me about your character's adventure, <laughs> seriously, I, you know, I I was not there. I just you know, and and hearing about it is like watching bread rise. It's just not. Uh, <laughs> what was even not funnier was not, the fact that Laura rolled her eyes and was like, "Oh, great!" And she didn't realize I was joking at first. <laughs> but I do. Has something. Hopefully, you can answer some questions on here because our table manner segment is on well known device creation and tinker gnomes in general. Absolutely. Some so, of my favorite people, which uh, were created, by the way, by Jeff Grubb. Oh, okay. Well, so it's Jeff's fault. We're going to blame Jeff. He's not here. Yeah, it's <laughs> Jeff's fault. Okay. Because, Jeff, it's your uh, fault if you're listening. <laughs> well, Jeff was originally an engineer. Oh, and, well, there that explains so, why I'm reading through the rules here, and it made my head hurt. Yeah, so, exactly. <laughs> did he make right. up the rules for the gnome device creation, or was that you? I, you know, I honestly don't remember. Okay, because go on, Nick. Well, let's just talk about like the tinker gnomes in general. They're interesting because they're like the complete antithesis of everything else in Kryn. <laughs> yeah, they're purely like. We are about technology. <laughs> Whether or not it yes. works. Whether or not it <laughs> Whether works. Whether or not that technology works. <laughs> that remains well, there to was, be seen. There was a section actually I think we took out of the book that was uh, I loved, which was um the the uh entrance to the gnome uh uh volcano. To never mind. Oh that would have been <laughs> yeah. interesting. Oh yeah, it was. They had they had a tunnel that came into Nevermind, but it was dark, and so they determined they needed to light the tunnel. And so what they did is they ran steel rods down the length of the tunnel, and the end of those rods then were extended downward into the magma, which heated the rods up so that they would provide light within the tunnel. Well, this of course made the tunnel extremely hot, toasty. (laughs) Yeah, you could bake bread in it. So they decided. Well, they had to cool the tunnel, so they brought piping down from the summit and they would pipe down ice cold water into the tunnel and spray it so that it would be so that it would cool the tunnel from the heat from the rods this unfortunately flashed into like steam. clouds and steam and 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 while you could and so you couldn't actually see even though the tunnel was lit so they built a large fan to blow <laughs> the steam out of the tunnel Workarounds, yeah. workarounds. Yeah. They just keep working around, and I, 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 I love that. But it was and made that's so loud you couldn't pretty talk. Pretty much in a nutshell, right there. I mean, yeah. that's how they are. You, you know, that's and kind of funny, Nick and Tracy. You're saying that because I don't. World of Warcraft, the exact entrance to get into the gnome world looks just like how you described it. Wow, wow, how wonderful! A tunnel with the the the, the strips heating it up, with the water spraying, giving you a cloud, with a fan blowing this. The smoke and the fog away, so you can look through it and get through it. But when you just said that, I'm like, oh my god, did they totally steal that from you guys? Yeah, I'm afraid so. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, nothing you can do about it now. So. 
But I like in in the book how there's the different guilds of the Tinker Gnomes, and they deal with a certain quote unquote science, you know, like hydraulics, aerodynamics, appliances. <laughs> um, yes. Imagine a Tinker Gnome blender. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, just how uh, the the idea of the Tinker Gnome class, how they want to make all these different inventions and they use whatever they can to make it, uh, well, hopefully work. Yeah. Well, yeah, and we did a killer breakfast in, the, in Mount Nevermind once. And uh, and the climax of this was the um, hydrogen dirigible at the top um, uh, that cleverly used lightning rods for energy to drive the thing forward. And it, it was uh, it wasn't a pretty ending, but it was a bright one and an exciting one. Okay. Um. Well, just about the not only about the tinker class, the tinker gnomes, and how they, uh, how they're basically their goal in life is to create new cool little devices, and hopefully they make, uh, <laughs> they make every, they work. Um, but uh, the gnome devices themselves, uh, there's a interesting, uh, I guess you would call it a path on whenever a Tinker Gnome wants to create a device. And there's, you start off by determining a device complexity and its size. You just, and this is where the DM kind of starts with these questions. And there's a, there's a, uh, a matrix in the back of the book that yeah. helps determine, you know, through you know, what uh, the uh, device can and cannot do at a general complexity level. There's a complexity level number that comes up with at the end, and it ranges from generally 1 to 20 for the complexity of the device. But there's various questions that the DM will ask the player who's playing the Tinker Gnome, like, will it do damage, protect from damage, or restrain another being? Uh, Does it move something or itself? Does it move something or, or itself any distance along the ground? Does it alter the environment? So on and so on. There's mm-hmm. various questions that yes, And with each of these questions, uh, if it be a yes or no, you go on to the next question. If it's a yes, then there's maybe some modifiers that are involved with going with that known device complexity level table on page 118. Yes. And <laughs> goes on from there. Then you have the Final design modifiers. Uh, you have uh, also, if you have more than one Tinker Gnome working on the device, this doesn't necessarily mean there'll be success. <laughs> no, you know, it you, doesn't. And in fact, you can probably really you know, hurt that. Uh, yeah, you know how like the, the old phrase, too many cooks can spoil the pot? This couldn't happen. You can have like 100 Tinker Gnomes Working on the, uh, one of the devices, I don't know, uh, like the uh, the blam blower, <laughs> and and uh, yes, there might be a modifier to help if it's successful or if it fails, maybe even explode. So there's there's still chances that the device might or might not work. Also, then you have to find out materials, how 
how uh, like different pulleys and screws and belts and gears and the prices in uh, steel for those. Of now, course. <laughs> of course. And then you finally get on to building the device. And <laughs> depending on the complexity, how long it takes to construct a device. Now, this could be a number of turns to a number <laughs> of months, depending on the size and complexity of the device. Absolutely. <laughs> and, Absolutely. And if I and remember I, rightly, this, yeah. this was actually a, very much an attempt at, at, at addressing the issue of gnomes building something. And we wanted to encourage gnomes to build things. But it was also an attempt to quantify the, the, the notion of effects within the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, does it move? Does it do damage? Does it defend? Right. Does it restrain? Uh, and these are all essentially effects. I, when within the body of the game, uh, we we thought, what is what is the difference really between a Gauss rifle and a magic wand? If you know, if they both take one round to fire, if they both do, you know, uh, d12 damage, uh, the actual effect within the context of the game is a matter of description rather than actually affecting the roles in the game the the dice in the game and and so this was an this was an attempt to to quantify a construction uh that would would build an effect essentially right and and and, and yeah i i kind of like the whole idea is oh i, I we we need something we we're about to be attacked we need something to defend ourselves Let's go take two two months and build it. You know. And, yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's very gnome like. Yeah. Yes. Now there was a couple other things I remember reading through this. I thought was very interesting. Getting behind, you know, tinker gnomes and the mentality. One is the larger the device or machine or whatever it may be, the less complex it is. Conversely, the smaller, the more complex. That's how Tinker Gnome engineering works. <laughs> yeah, big is better. Absolutely. Bigger is better. It's going to have big less parts, yeah. generally. Generally. Sometimes. <laughs> well, you look and, at something small, it has lots of parts, and so you need right. more. And the second thing is, uh, with Tinker Gnomes, the idea of mass producing a device is foreign to them. Yeah, economy of scale does not exist for the gnomes. Yeah, they don't understand, oh, we made something really cool, let's mass produce it. They're like, oh no, we're oh, going to no. make this one, and the next one, we're going to make it better. We're going to no, add that's, this. <laughs> that's important, absolutely, because you, we, it, you, you're con- they're constantly trying to make things better. Yes. And the last thing isn't good enough, it's always has to be better. Strangely enough, this is actually a problem that my Bruce Wayne character has in the Batman book that I'm writing. So <laughs> does this mean gnomes? that Bruce Wayne is a, is a gnome? Uh, it may be. Could be. He, uh, he's part gnome. Who knows? Well, he does. He, within, the, within the book, for example, he is he's looking at his new suit. One of the things that they told me that I could do is, or they wanted me to do, is to redesign the suit. And I thought, wow, I get to redesign Batman's suit. That was, you know, at my first thought, and then my second thought was. Man, I shouldn't redesign Batman's suit. And 
And and I kind of realized within the context of Ryan's book, he's looking at his new suit that he's just used, and he's just breaking in. And he says, you know, it's just not perfect yet. It's not right. Almost. But the next one will be better. And, and that's the way he feels about everything that he does. Is, is that the next thing will be a little bit better. And, so he's, and he's constantly he has, tinkering. He's constantly tinkering. He's constantly improving something because it's never perfect for him, which is why he has so many different versions of a Batmobile. Um, <laughs> because it's never quite perfect. Never, you know, he has 12 different versions of the Batcopter or something like hmm. that. Well, yeah, actually, in the book, I, I, I have a fun moment when he's in the Batcave and, and he's looking at the current version of the Batmobile and he finds that he, he finds the name Batmobile to be hilarious. Um, because Batmobile is a name in, in the context of the book. Batmobile is a name that the media has put on his vehicle. Yeah. Right. And he doesn't call it a Batmobile. That's, he, he finds that to be, and just a silly media affectation. Right. Now, the by the way, his in the book one of his favorites is one of his favorite versions incarnations of a Batmobile. However, is uh, uh, a I think as he puts it is is a revision or, or a remodel of his father's 1957 Ford Futura. <laughs> oh, Nice. Yes. Yeah. Well, that just the oh, Batman is a tinker gnome. Yeah, He's yeah. Just a little ba- apparently, Batman is a tinker gnome. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I thought this was an interesting section. I, I read through it a couple of times. It took me a little while to to figure it out because I'm I'm nowhere near an engineer myself, but I understood a few things here, and. I just think it really <laughs> typifies how, if you're going to play the Dragonland setting, how very dangerous Tinker Gnomes can be. <laughs> if well, left yes. to their own devices. If left to their own, literally to their own devices. Left, literally yeah. left on their own devices, because anybody else around might get hit by the blast. So, mm. I don't know. Uh, uh, up to the rest mm. of folks. Would I use something in this? Would you use something like this in your campaign if the device yeah. creation? I definitely would use it, but I don't see this as a traveling class. Like an oh, adventure. I, I see this more of an NPC class for the party. I can't see a gnome running around with the party that's a tinkering gnome. You just want to stay in one place to build something. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you talk about the construction times. It's quite a. Quite. Quite long for some Just five more minutes while I fix this lever on this contraption I got here or something I could hear every day. You'd want to kill him after a while. (laughs) Well, you would. Although, at the same time, I think if you look at the character, uh, the main character in How to Train Your Dragon, for example, he's something of a tinker as well. Mm. Uh, And uh, I I could see, I could see an outcast gnome. Um, who has been shunned by the rest of his gnome community because his stuff works. And, you know, now that could be an interesting traveling class from the standpoint that, that, that he would have the ability to deal with mechanical devices and so on. In some ways, 
he would replace uh, a lot of thief class functions hmm. within the game without having to deal with uh, all of the moral ambiguity that the thief class uh, provides. Hmm. What do you think, Will, about the Tinker Gnomes and the device creation? I think that it's a, uh, a very interesting concept. Um, it definitely has given uh, future authors and game creators, and they're using those ideas in you know, future editions or uh, other editions of D&D and everything. I'm not a big fan of gnomes. I think they're too short. <laughs> I just don't care for gnomes too much. I prefer dwarves, and uh, there's nothing wrong with, you know, making dwarves tinkerers as well, but uh, you know, this is Dragonlance, so I give gnomes their props. They're tough guys, especially if they're throwing those, you know, gnome grenades and gnome bombs and everything. Uh, bring some interesting role-playing aspects into it when a device goes off and uh, blows up the party. <laughs> so um, I guess uh, we'll leave it up to our uh, listeners out there if they're familiar with the Tinker Gnome class and uh, using the Gnome device creation. Uh, you know, let us know at rfistaff at gmail.com or head over to orsrgaming.org to the forums there and let us know what you think or if you have some really funny, interesting stories about uh, Tinker Gnomes and <laughs> what they tried to create. So uh, I guess with that, we'll head on to uh, game mechanics. Oh, man, what the heck is that? Understand, you fool. I have a spell that will work here. What do you mean I can't hit with that? Oh, right, fine. Show it to me in the book. Welcome to Game Mechanics. Oh, you want me to start? Yes, please. Oh, no, it's all good. No, uh, as I was looking over some of the things, uh, we was going to talk about the uh, a character alignment chart. Uh, in uh, the world of Dragonlance, this chart is uh, pretty much set up on the premise that when a player creates a character for Dragonlance, they will be assigning that character an alignment based on its moral turpitude. For example, the good, neutral, or evil aspect. Unlike regular first edition uh, D&D, when a player assigns an alignment to a character, that character will act within the scope of that alignment to the best of that player's ability. However, in the Quinn setting, the actions of that player will dictate the alignment of that character as it progresses in adventures and so on. So basically, as I studied this and read this, I remember this when I used to run the uh, DL1 series all the way up to DL16. I think the book came out a little bit after. I'm not sure. I can't remember after all these years and everything. Uh, you know, there's a chart there where the DM will keep track of the moral alignment, you know, based on the player's actions. Uh, this is very important because, for example, uh, in first edition AD&D, if you have a paladin that commits a transgression, it's an automatic, you know, they lose their abilities and powers and, you know, their alignment changes until they repent. In this case here, let's say a player wants to play a knight of Salamnia or what have you, or become a Salamnic knight with a lawful good alignment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. The player will possibly make some, you know, transgressions that are normally not lawful good. Whereas then the DM will keep track of those decisions and then penalize them on the charge. Like uh, if they do something that's like more neutral, their actions are more neutral instead of good, they'll, they'll penalize them a couple ticks. Now what that will do in the chart is that's going to push the alignment to lawful neutral. But before he hits that lawful neutral mark, he's going to hit a transition area. The moment that happens, that's when the bad things happen to these characters. Uh, for some characters, it's a lot worse than others. Uh, a prime example is the, uh, well, for the Knights of Salamnia, they're going to lose their abilities. Uh, their fall from grace will occur. They lose all their powers and they become simple fighters until they redeem themselves. Uh, in the case of a Salamnic Knight character, they would have to do good things to backtrack back up to that lawful good area or to that good area. And then hopefully through that experience points, gain their levels back. Now, I wasn't really certain there, Mr. Hickman. I didn't see anything. Are these levels are, are permanently lost or are they gained back, you know, via experience? It, it wasn't really clear on that. So that would be a, a DM rule. What do you all think? I think uh, neutral. Or, uh, I think that they'd come back. Uh, the, I, the intention, I think, here was to address the idea uh, prevalent at the time. Uh, people say, well, I, you know, I'm... I, my character's lawful good, and then they would go out and do neutral stuff, or they do evil stuff. And, yeah, right. And or or, the, or I'm lawful, and they'd get all chaotic in, in their actions, and I, and and it was an attempt, I think, within the body of the rule set to deal with um, the difference between what the character, uh, what they said the character was, and what how the player was playing the character. And to try to keep them, you know, t- at least within the body of uh, of of who they were, uh, or who they had said that they were. Um, I, I, at the time, I believed that it would it made for more interesting play if you would if you could enforce that. Uh, I, I've become less of an enforcer these days than I think I was in my youth. Um, I I do uh, I, I do like still like the idea of judging a character's alignment based on the uh, the player's actions rather than what is written on the sheet and i think that that makes more sense i think it makes for better play um and more interesting more interesting characters i i had a i had a uh pal i was playing a paladin character in a neighbor's uh campaign for a time and uh i had I, I had gone to the referee and I had said to the DM, look, it, I'm a paladin, I'm lawful good, I'm going to play this paladin lawful good, but I'll tell you right now, I think it's rude, my character believes that it's rude to check the alignment of the other members of the party unless they do something overtly wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and so as a result, we ended up going into this castle, this tower, with a, a a whole party full of of neutral evils <laughs> and thieves and cutthroats, led by this paladin. Interesting. And and it made for great play. Uh, <laughs> what happened? We the 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 scenario was that this tower had been once belonged to a good man and had been taken over by this evil wizard. Uh, and as a consequence of this, I once re- I once refused to allow the rest of my party members to break down a door because 
the door was the property of a good man, and the wanton destruction of this man's property seemed wrong to me. Um, as a result of this, they had a tendency to send me ahead scouting quite a bit. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> they sent the paladin scouting. Oh, Lord. That's funny. Well, and, and actually, at one point then, I, they sent me left when they turned right. And they came across a couple of bugbears, and we had this uh, goblin, or we had a gnome character that was with us, player character that was with us, who could speak bugbear. And they were in the middle of parlay over this whole thing, and, and the gnome was saying, okay, look, guys, uh, we don't really want to fight you. We don't want to do, have a lot of trouble here. We're not interested in the treasure you're guarding. We're looking for something bigger. Just tell, it, tell us where it is. We'll walk away. Everything is going to be just fine between us. It was about this time when the bugbears were considering this offer that I returned to the party. Oops. And for me, it was very simple. You know, bugbears, evil, kill. So I pull out my sword and I'm charging to the front of the party. And uh, this uh, gal that was playing this gnome saw me coming. She only had a moment to think about it. And she turned her character around. This gnome turned around, held up his little arms, and said to the paladin who was charging... No, stop, they want to repent. <laughs> Which, okay. I was just imagining where the, like, the, the bugbear is probably going to say, yes, the, 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 the treasure is stab. <laughs> you know, that's what I was waiting for. <laughs> well, and I, I, I stopped. I said, uh, I didn't speak bugbear, of course, and so I told the gnome, I said, tell these vile creatures if they'll repent, then I will spare their lives. And so this gal who was playing the gnome turned back to the bugbears and, and in bugbear, of course, said, okay, look, you're going to tell us where the treasure is or do I sit can on you? <laughs> and so, you know, to this day, my paladin character believes that the bugbears repented of their evil ways and went on their way. Um, interesting. That makes, but, does make for interesting play. It makes for it makes for better. It can make for better play, but you have to have people who are used to that kind of thing. I've always yes, felt that alignment needs to be needs to be based on action rather than some arbitrary assignment. Yes, truly, I, I truly agree with that. That's very important because a lot of people, well, I say a lot of people, a lot of players that I notice that you know are not capable of understanding, you know, the scope of, of alignment, playing it within the scope. Whereas, like you said, judging by their actions. Uh, you know, a DM will say, well, I know what lawful good is. And, you know, another player, does, you know, says, well, I know what lawful good is. And then when they start doing actions and then it comes to the point where the player will say, well, this is a lawful good thing. Why are you penalizing me? Well, to me, that is not a lawful good action. So it makes for interesting role playing. Uh, it, it makes for some interesting, you know, conversation between the players. And I think alignment would have to be spelled out as much as possible and, and, and the chart as well. Yeah. I think I think that the players though have to understand the transition area because when the alignment shifts into those two transition areas between good and neutral, neutral and evil, that's when they really need to know because that's when the DM will punish them. You know, per yeah. the rules and everything. For example, like uh, both the wizard and the clerk will, uh, 10% of their spells are going to fail. You know, you roll percentile dice. If you roll below 10, your spell fails. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the clerk you know, they will still lose their two levels. The magic user will, of course, by the time it changes to another alignment, they get a new robe, color, and so on and so on. 
So players have to pretty much decide, like, what kind of alignment do I want and, and what am I good at playing? Because I really don't want to get punished by the DM. The last thing you need is a cure critical spell to go off to heal the paladin that's fixing to die from the bugbears. And then he rolls a two and the spell failed, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. <Dead> paladin. <laughs> Well, yeah, exactly. Although I, I like I say, I've I have changed and become, I guess, a kinder and gentler uh, DM over the years. Although, considering the killer breakfast events that I run, that people may not quite buy into that. Um, yeah. The, um, but I'm I'm less uh, I'm less concerned anymore with punishing players uh, than I am with inspiring them. Right. And, uh, and and I would I would I would, if I were to use a system like this, it would be to inspire players to better play rather than than to uh, impose penalties um, on the players. Um, one of the things that Howard Taylor, uh, uh, who's the Schlock mercenary artist online, uh, I, I always says about improv is that the answer to any question needs to be yes and... <laughs> Um, and I and I think that that's probably the best, a really good approach for DMs as well in uh, in terms of running their games and their relationship to the game mechanics. I, I do think that if you want to use this outside of the Dragonlance uh, Adventures book, if you weren't going to run Ascending in Kryn, I know, God forbid, Tracy, that someone would do that, but <laughs> oh, please, I, by all means, <laughs> I I think. That um, this would uh, this would work in a campaign if you were going to do this from the very beginning. I don't think this is something you can do right in the middle of a campaign. Uh, and uh, showing that in uh, your campaign world, yes, if you're going to you know within the alignment system of this particular game, there is a system to where. You can, if you fall off alignment, certain things are going to happen, and uh, I, as a DM, can track that. And I think that shows that also that there are certain consequences for your actions based True. upon on your alignment. If you fall that that morality of the of your alignment, I guess you might want right. to call that. So I, I agree totally that this can you know this is a great system or a, a great set of rules for Ravenloft. And I say this not from the, the module perspective, but for the campaign, especially when characters are making their decisions. And this gives the dark powers more an opportunity to actually, you know, influence those characters to become more evil or what have you to escape from that, that original alignment. I mean, this is great. I think this is a great yes. tool Come for the Ravenloft campaign. Side. Yes, sir. That's exactly we, what this is, right? We, have, exactly we have cookies. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But, you know, the uh, the downside that I see, for example, it, let's say it was, a, you know, a regular fighter. That's not like a Salamnic Knight that's lawful good, which is almost like a Paladin Cavalier, you know, um, comparison there. But if it's a regular fighter, and let's say they go into that transition from good to neutral or neutral to evil or n- evil back to neutral, their only uh, punishment, again, is it's a minus one to hit opponent and then uh, plus one. To their own armor class, and I look at this and I'm like that ain't really much of a punishment. No, it really isn't. No, it isn't. I guess it's up to the DM to maybe make and you know enforce maybe a stricter penalty. Right, because I tell you, the clerics and the magic users suffer the most because they lose two experience levels. 
So then right then again, just like uh, Mr. Hickman said, you want them to erase the quality of playing. You want to, you know, raise the standard, and that's very important. Yes, I agree with that totally. It's uh, it's a good system. I, I think it's really interesting to do, but I don't – I wouldn't use it because I don't like keeping track of things like that. Too much well, going it on is, as a it is It is busy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and that's the other thing I think I've kind of changed over the years, at least in my own mind, is – is to get away from busy and to get back to having fun. When, we, when, we, when we did I'm the sorry. XDM game, for example, well, no, it's all right. When, when we were, when we did uh, XDM, Extreme Dungeon Master. Extreme, yeah. Extreme. <laughs> Extreme. Uh, when we did you know, every it, time uh, you're going to say that, we're going to have to do that. I know, we're going to have to do that. It's true. <laughs> I was going to stand behind him in, in this booth every time someone said, I love XDM, I was going to go, Extreme! But I figured he would have he would have punched me in the head after about fifteen minutes. So, no, but we had but one of the things we did is we put in a game, and we put in our own role playing game, and we called it the XD twenty system. And and we had and because it's a role playing game, we have to have a basic and an advanced version. Right? Yes. Yeah. Well, the the basic version, the, the character sheet has my stat. Yes, I love that. <laughs> One it's stat. One stat. stat. <laughs> that's who you are. You're like five, you know, and and that's all you get. <laughs> and 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 that's you know, I, it, it takes it way down to the most basic level. I advanced. Hey, we'll give you three stats. But <laughs> uh, oh, but the whole idea was to get away from all of the busy work and get back to the to the mental exercise of having a good time and and right. weaving a story together. So yeah, I I look back on what we did in those days and 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 this in particular, and while the theory I think is 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 basically correct, I think that if I were to do this now, I it, it would be uh, the DM would say, you know, I, you're you're a, you're a knight of Salamia here. You've been carousing for three weeks. I'm thinking that that you you aren't anymore. Okay. <laughs> Oh, one thing that made me laugh was the XDM char- character sheet for basic was just like my name, my stat, my description, and that's like all it was on the page. <laughs> it's just like you look at that sheet and you look at like say fourth edition, and you're like, whoa, whoa. Oh, hey. <laughs> well, seriously, seriously, we had I had a guy in New Zealand who bought this book, and who came who wrote to me and said, this is all we play anymore. Is XDM because they at first they t- took out their fourth edition character sheets, you know, and and they were spending hours yeah. trying to just get a character sheet, and then they looked at my game and it was like, oh, there's my stat. Okay, let's play, <laughs> and and they loved that idea that that you could just get into it and and have a good time. So I actually have a lot of people uh, today who write to us on the XDM forums and the XDM website. Who tell who tell us, uh, you know what? I this is what I play now because this is fun. This doesn't eat up my life. This is a good time, and this is it's what I remember method. gaming. It's great. It's yeah, per- that's right. It's perfect yeah. if if you want to just play. Yeah. That's it. That's my thoughts exactly. When I when you said Nick there the kiss you know method that's awesome. I love to kiss, but you know, it, it, it's simple. Depends on the DM. 
But then again, I don't let alignment ever be a straitjacket. And like I said, this is a very simple rule here or a simple set of rules here concerning the alignment. I think it's very simple. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's I don't think it's very convoluted and very difficult to maintain. Good Lord. I mean, we're DMs. We've been doing it forever. So something like this just comes natural to me as a, as a longtime player in DM of 36 years. I like the system. I think it works fine. It keeps uh, players on the edge. And, you know, hey, sometimes they need that. Besides, y'all know how it is in first edition. I mean, you make a, an alignment issue, you lose a level for each, you know, shift down. So if you go from lawful good to lawful neutral, that's one level. And lawful, you know, lawful good to lawful evil, that's two levels. And it just keeps right. on going, keeps on going. So I like how they do this transition method here with, with, with Dragonlance. I think it's a, a very simple tool. I, I think it will work. And as a matter of fact, since we discussed it, I'm looking to implement it in, in my Ravenloft campaign. Cool. Cool. Something I definitely would like to see someone design is a Ravenloft for Osric so we can just see what they have come up with. I know it would be hard to do it with all the copyrights and everything, but it would be interesting to see. What do you think? Sure. Well, I think that Ravenloft is a trademark of Wizards of the Coast. Or is that TSR? No, wait a minute. Hasbro. Yeah, okay, somebody. Who are they? What I do know is it's not mine, and so whatever they decide to do with it, hey, good for them. How about, like, Extreme Ravenloft? Or? Extreme Ravenloft, yes. <laughs> What's cool is I, I, a lot of I was reading on your forums for Extreme Dungeon Mastery Extreme, and... <laughs> uh, now I'm picturing, like, liches, like, on bikes jumping into rivers. Yeah. There's, like, people made up things for Extreme Dungeon Mastery. So if you want a specific setting and you just feel like being imaginative, you can go to his forums and there's people, like, made up, like, robot history ones and all these neat little things. And I'm like, wow, they should just, like, print these things out and, like... Sell them alongside the book. I mean, it'd be so much fun to see all these things. Yeah, I think my favorite story from uh, Extreme Dungeon Mastery. Extreme. Extreme. Thank you. And <laughs> I think my favorite story was actually this person who 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 uh, wrote in and said that a coworker of theirs had asked them about role playing and what role playing was about. And he said, "Well, I'll run you a game of well, well, you know." I, I, I said, "Here, I tell you what." And he sat down. He busted out his uh, XDM book. He says, what, what do you want to play a game about? And she said, well, I don't know. I said, well, what do you have at the house? He said, I've got cats. And so he instantly created this RPG about her cats and all of the things that they would have to problem solve. How do they get up on the counter? How do they, you know, how do they get to the <laughs> milk here? And, and then a burglar came into the house. And, and, and how would the cats defend their milk against the burglar, right? <laughs> and and because the sim- system was so simple, they could go ahead and role play all of this, and and it absolutely opened up the, this woman's eyes to what this was all about, and got her into the game. So yeah, I I, I love the idea of of uh, of, of simple uh, anymore. Okay, cool. So hey, let's sorry. throw it out there for people. If you use the character alignment tracking system. Or you've come up with your own system, which you'd like to see, give us a shout out, or if I staff at gmail.com, and we'll head into our next segment. As the secret portal yields to your efforts, you stand amazed at a vision from the most fevered dreams of avarice. Before you lies the Dragon's Horde. So for Dragon's Hordes tonight, 
we're going to be talking about, we have to talk about this without, you know, talking about Dragon Lance. Dragon Lance? Yeah, yeah Dragon Armor. This. Yeah. <laughs> How could you not talk about Dragon Armor and Dragon Lance? Right. So Dragon Armor, pretty much, this is this armor has been used by the Queen of Darkness throughout many ages of Corinth. It consists of padded tunic and leggings with a plate mail, breastplate, and shoulder of plates. Basically, this is a custom-fitted armor that is made for a certain person, and no one else can use it. If they try to use it, they suffer a penalty to using the uh, the armor. Mm. Where it's um, all the spikes on it, it makes it hard. Is that what it is? I was trying to figure out so. what exactly about it is because the dragon plates are hard to manufacture. Yeah, see, well, it's it, it you get you get hung up on stuff all the time, and you can get cut by it. It's it's pretty hard. Now it could be. Ba- is it based off of just one type of dragon plate, or is it could be any dragon color? Or because I don't really see anything about what colors of dragons. No, I think actually it's it's custom fitted armor, and and as I recall, um, Larry Elmore is the armorer. Um, he uh, he's the one who actually came up with the armor. Right. He said and, you guys are saying it's equivalent to a scale mail plus two armor. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I you, think that's probably about right. And you subtract 1d6 points from any cold base attacks or damage. Yes. Now, I wonder if you can take different plate mail, uh, plates of dragon and put it on the armor and change it up a bit. Is that maybe the original thought process in that armor? No, I don't think so. I think that the armor is designed to work uh, as a piece. Okay. And, and because of that... Um, um, it's and because of that, interchanging pieces isn't going to actually help you at all with that. Um, the it's it's uh, the importance in armor is actually how it all moves together, mm-hmm. and that's uh, and I think with the dragon armor, that's that's the case here. Nick, have you ever used this dragon armor? I have it, but you know what? I'm considering it, and. Now, this dragon armor, it's not made of the scales of a dragon, is it? No? It doesn't really say. Now, I'm, I'm wondering if, we, if you can make something like that, you, uh, like a, just kind of like modify it to where, yeah, you can make it out of dragon scales and thus whatever dragon it's made out of, yeah. the, the skin, it's... Because uh, we've all... You, you have to admit, we've all, we've all done that in the past. I mean, yes. who hasn't... After the killing their first dragon, tried to pull the plates off the dragon and try to make armor out of it as a trophy or shield. Oh, I, I got players that use everything, including the spleen of a dragon. <laughs> the so, spleen I mean, of the dragon? They use everything. <laughs> I think there's a whole adventure there we could do spleen of the dragon. It would be yes. an interesting... Hey, Tracy, there's your next book, Spleen of the Dragon. It could be, Spleen of the Dragon. I've used dragons, every other part of a dragon in a title. I suppose I could use spe- spleen of a dragon. There we go. You heard it here first, folks. Trace Hickman's new book. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I mean, it sounds better than pancreas. Yeah. So that's too wordy. <laughs> it is. It's too wordy. It's too complicated. Spleen. So. It just goes. Spleen. It but works yeah, very I have well. Players that they use every single part of the dragon: the teeth, the bones, the blood. You name it. They kill a dragon. That thing is not going to waste. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Well, it's a scale mail armor, this armor, so I would just, when I envision this armor, I envision it being 
equivalent of whatever dragon the uh, is there for the time. Yeah, and the and the reason why there is the cold bonus on the on the armor mm-hmm. is because the armor is designed to keep the bear warm. Mm. Because it's usually used in flight and at altitude, uh, it it gets cold up there. Right. This uh, whole entire book is a great little book, The Dragonlance Adventures. I suggest anyone picking it up to use it for their campaign. Dragonlance is a good setting. In fact, I've played the heck out of this book that so much the orange spine is broken on my copy. Much like all the orange spines did when they fell apart. Will, you were telling me before the uh, podcast you had an interesting copy of the book? Yeah, this is uh, kind of unusual because I haven't opened this book in a, in a number of years, and uh, and I, I just forgot completely about it. But when I opened it up just to you know get comfortable and, and remembering everything, I noticed that the entire book is upside down. <laughs> The, the, the contents upside down. The whole thing is upside down. So I'm reading the book upside down, and someone says, "Like, what are you doing?" I said, "I'm reading this book here." And he said, "Well, why is it upside down?" And I said, "Oh no, let me show you." And I guess it was some flaw. It was a, it was a bad print or just an unusual mistake. That was kind of weird. Hmm. I wouldn't. That's kind of cool, actually. Yeah, that's a collector's I, item. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm probably gonna take a picture of it and show you all later on. It's it's funny. <laughs> That'd be something. That definitely. Uh hold on to, because I'd like to have something like that. I've heard of that, but I've never actually seen of the Upside Down books. Oh, then I have to take some pictures of some other books I have. You'll be interested in some of those things that happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was quite a few uh, uh, anomalies that came out of TSR back then, so that's the best word I could describe for it. Like, what was it, that print of the DMG where it had actually several pages of the Monster Manual in it? Yeah. There's a whole bunch of things that they did, and they, I don't know what the printing press did back then. I guess I can, I guess back when they did printing, they were all doing everything by hand. It wasn't factory done. No, it was it was factory done. In was fact, it? Oh. one of the, if I remember correctly, reading through the history of TSR, one of the really big coups that Gary made was when he got Random House to do the printing. Well, you print- know, Random House is not you know a small print company. So oh, no. He, no, no, he got, yeah, he, uh, I might be wrong on this. I thought I remember reading about it that, that it was like, like a, a friend of a friend kind of thing. <laughs> like he heard through somebody else that they knew somebody at Random House and they were able to arrange it that TSR was able to publish their books, you know, their modules, what have you through Random House. And, and one of the reasons why they got some pretty good distribution on their stuff too. Awesome. I don't know. I know a lot of the Orange Spine books fall apart really easily. Yeah, yeah. Like the Unearth Arcana book. Yeah. But the Extreme Dungeon Mastery book, that does not fall apart. Extreme! (laughs) That book does not fall apart, and I love the cover of that book. Actually, the book itself was designed to... uh, was physically designed to uh, be mindful and in remembrance of the early books. Yes, the paper quality itself was chosen specifically so that it would feel like a first edition book. Oh, I didn't know that. Cool. Yeah, yeah, it's well, now true. Now I have to get one. Oh, Nick, definitely pick one up. I mean, okay. if if you're not going to play it, it's a very. It's just like how do I describe the read of the book? Just goes so nicely that it's a book 
with rules, but they don't take the rule like a like you look at the first edition players' books, and it's just like yeah. this is what you do, blah blah blah. When Tracy and, and his son wrote the book, it's like this is what you do, and then like below it, there's like comments like you don't really have to do this if you don't want to, duh. <laughs> it's like it's really good. I read the whole thing in one night because it was so like engrossing as far as just to read the comments that they wrote after what they wrote for the rules. Well, now I'm, now I'm definitely going to get one. Yeah, I, I've definitely got to give you guys uh, props on that, Tracy. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's a fun read, and, and we had a blast uh, doing it. I, I love the I love the uh, section on role-playing down since the time of Socrates. I think it's, it's <laughs> you know... I, I, I love the idea of, you know, uh, the the Christians versus Lions LARP yeah. not working out as well as they'd hoped. No. <laughs> no, that didn't work out too well. <laughs> what, one section I, I, I liked, but I didn't understand the magic, the magician yeah, section. Yeah, the magic session. Well, my son is a professional magician. <laughs> right, and, I got that part. And he loves the idea of, of like, conveying... Um, uh, of the idea of, a, of a, a DM being able to do magic in the game. And and some of it's a bit convoluted, but but yeah, I mean, it, it actually has a pretty good section. If you remember from Labyrinth, for example, when when uh, uh, the Goblin King is is juggling the the ball between mm-hmm. his hands, yeah, yeah, the, it explains in this book how to do that, right? And it's you know, and and so the idea that you could sit down with a DM and all of a sudden he'd be able to like perform the the magic in the game is. Uh, was something that he wanted to include the performance aspect that he wanted to include in there. Yeah, there is a um, there is a section uh, in the book on um, uh, on uh, uh, pyrotechnics. Yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like you guys keep commenting on the smoke machine throughout the book. Where's oh the yeah, smoke absolutely. Machine? <laughs> Got it. And, and lasers, lasers, and smoke machines. But if I if I may, I could go I ahead, think I can ahead. find for you actually my favorite section, which is out of the pyrotechnic section of that book. That is a good section, that book. Yeah, it is, and it's. Uh, let's see if I've got it here handy at all, and because uh, XDM is also available on Kindles, strangely enough. Wow! How did that yes. How did that work out? Did I know you can't. Did the pictures come out with it too, or just straight up text? No, the pictures actually did come out, and oh. yeah, because I did the translation. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, uh, it's like a slight laugh to Kindle or something. I don't know. Well, I, 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 it's it's just that so many people, I think, um, uh, when they may make a Kindle book, they make it look just ugly. Oh yeah, and. Uh, I wanted to make sure that our book looked good on a Kindle. So we did. We included a lot of the art. And uh, it's got, well, let's see here. Oh, yes, okay. Here we are. This was the section I was going to read to you. Um, there are many sections in the book, uh, in, the, in this arson section, okay? Um, yeah, well, I think of it as the arson section. It's the pyrotechnic section. The giant, incredible fireball, aka Homeland Security watch list, <laughs> is is one of them. But this is the last. This is the Armageddon Hellstorm, aka NSA Black Ops hit list. <laughs> and it says, if I may read, have you ever been running a game for your friends and thought, boy, 
I could really use a realistic volcano inferno that engulfs an entire city block in a highly concussive fireball. That would be the perfect end for tonight's adventure. Well, of course you have. Who hasn't? So our solution to the pressing question is the Armageddon Hellstorm display. Here is the simplest way to build one out of materials you probably have around your own home. First, obtain a large microwave-safe casserole dish. <laughs> Two. Second, you must blank. And you have to understand this section was heavily redacted. Okay? <laughs> Third, after your plane lands, you will cross the border into blank. There you will find some Blankians. When you talk to the Blankians, make sure to ask for the weapons grade blank and not the blank that they try to pass off as the real blank. Next, with infinite care, you gently blank without blanking the delicate blank, blank, blank at a minimum distance of five miles. There you go. <laughs> That's good. That's good. The best part about the whole stream, Dungeon Mastery. Extreme. Thank you. Is that <laughs> players don't level the DM levels. Interesting. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, um, Tracy, I haven't got my uh, uh, my level improvement. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. You all gain a level. Oh, thank you. Sweet. Dun, dun, yeah. da, da. Can I be like the high dungeon mastery arc something or other? Like you guys I think so. Up? It's described in there exactly what the levels mean. I can't exactly remember <laughs> offhand what those what all those levels are, but like the super yeah. secret levels that only Tracy and, and, and Tracy you and, and Well, it's really impossible together because every time anybody approaches it, we just make up new levels. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's a lot of fun, actually. The book's a lot of fun. It's a great read. Uh, but, but more than that, it, it's, the intention of the book actually is to help any role-playing game. And in fact, it will improve the play in anybody's role-playing game, whatever they're playing. Um, so yeah, it's something that I recommend. It is very old school. Mm-hmm. And, and for that reason, I, I hope a lot of people get a lot of joy out of it. Definitely. All right, then that's going to wrap the show up for tonight. Yeah. Nice hour and a half show there for you folks. Yeah. Talking about Dragonlance, we'd like to thank uh, Tracy Hickman for joining us tonight. Glad to be here, and thank you for having me on. Always a joy having you on, Tracy. Thank you. I hope everybody will come visit the Facebook page. If you want to know how to write, come to scribesforge.com. And we'll be happy to give you the benefit of our 30 years worth of uh, game writing and uh, novel writing experience. And I have to make one plug. Go ahead. Which Uh-oh. is for my Uh-oh. wife's project. Oh, yeah, that's right. You told me about this. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, my wife is doing a cookbook. Mm-hmm. And, that, and if you go to Baking Outside the Box, what a wonderful name, mm-hmm. bakingoutsidethebox.com. Uh, and find out all about it and and how she's raising her money on Kickstarter to make that project happen. So, mm-hmm. um, oh. yeah, by all means, come take a look at that as well. That's awesome. They have like gaming cookies, like like cobalt. Absolutely. Cookies oh, mm-hmm. listen, I got to tell you, she made yesterday. The thing about this book that is so cool is that it's a system. Okay. A cook. And wh- a cooking a, system. Okay. A cooking system. Uh, what you have is 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 it's a way of replacing boxed mixes. 
mm-hmm. so that you can you can actually use this system that she has. You make basic mixes from this system, and then you use those to make anything, any mm-hmm. kind of baked goods. And wow. and it's it's fast and it's fun and it's frugal because it's inexpensive. You can do it for like a fraction of the cost, right? Mm-hmm. So so the other day, and and one of the cool things about this is that you can use her system to translate existing um, scratch recipes into this like easy bake for grown-ups that she's made. <laughs> so the other day she said, "Wow, you know, I could I would really like some pumpkin muffins." I wonder how you do pumpkin muffins. So she went into the kitchen, she pulled out her materials and she and using her method, she made these pumpkin muffins. And <laughs> oh, and wow. they had they had like they there were pumpkin muffins with with uh I I think they had uh, pecans in them hmm. and and white chocolate oh. and they had a they had a cookie they had a, a a graham cracker crumble crust on top of them i'm getting on a plane now oh they were <laughs> amazing in fact in fact if you go uh, go to our facebook page um you can see them because she posted them there and the recipe for them oh, facebook.com oh, slash i want one what is it? Oh, Facebook.com slash uh, outside the box or cooking outside the well, box? I, well, that's well, it's, 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 it's got to be here somewhere. Here. Oh, here, there it is. Just a second. Okay. Yeah, it's um, actually, if you go to bakingoutsidethebox.com, Baking it's the outside. first recipe that's on there. Okay, bakingoutsidethebox.com. Okay. Yeah, and it's the first recipe that's there. And you can see my beautiful wife there in her little video uh, talking about our system. But, whoa, they were unbelievably good. She must must be eaten at every gaming table. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, I hope there's some recipes for burnt, because everything I cook is burnt. Yeah. (laughs) All right, guys, let's wrap up the show. Say goodnight to everyone. Keep it original. Keep it old school. And goodnight, everybody. for initiative.